We've been reading through the Bible in two years, and over the last week, we've been reading Amos and Hosea. Uh, so here's what I want to do today. I, I want to I take us on a little fly through Amos and just pull out some of the things that are in it. And uh, I want to bring to you what I think God's laid on my heart that I think he might be saying to us as church today through the words of Amos. Is that okay? I think that God is always speaking, and and I think that the Word of God is living and alive, and I think that God wants to speak to us today as much as he wanted to speak to people thousands of years ago, and I think he's got some amazing things uh, to say to us and things that he wants to do in us and through us, and I just want us to be open to that. So let me just pray, and then we'll dive in. Father God, thank you for your Word. Thank you that you are a God that speaks, that you are a God who longs for us to hear your voice, that you are a God who who longs to speak hope, freedom, joy, peace, forgiveness, love into our lives. And today, Lord, we just want to be open to what it is that you want to say. So Spirit of God, come and rest upon us. Come and still our hearts and our minds and open us up to receive what you want to say to us. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. Great. Uh, So, Amos. Let me just get it open. Lovely. A um, bit of background for you. Who's, who's read Amos over this last week? Who's been reading along? Yeah, awesome. Most of you. That's great. Who's loved it? Two of you. Wonderful. Who was like, don't really ever want to read that book again? Yeah, okay. A few of you. Yeah, it's hard going, right? You get to Amos and you're like, what on earth? <laughs> um, and uh, if you feel like that, me too. It's okay. Don't worry. Okay. Um, but There's some incredible things in Amos, some incredible things going on. Let me give you a little bit of background first, okay, just to set the context. Amos was living at a time when the people of God that we know as Israel, the kingdom of Israel, had split and divided into two, okay? So we've got the northern kingdom, which is kind of the bigger kingdom, and and that is commonly known as Israel. And then we've got the southern kingdom, which is the smaller one, and that is commonly known as Judah. And it's in the kingdom of Judah that we find Jerusalem, okay? Most of us will know where that is, down in the south. And that is the kingdom that Amos is from. He's from this southern kingdom. And Amos, he is not a prophet. Let me just put that out there, right? Amos is not a prophet. Amos primarily was a shepherd and a carer of sycamore trees, whatever that means, okay? Um, He was a shepherd and a carer of sycamore trees. That's what he did. He was bivocational. He had two jobs, okay? Like many people in today's society, he had two part-time jobs. He was just your average guy, just working, just doing his thing, okay? And um, he wasn't anything special, just a normal guy. But he was obedient to the word of God and he was open to the voice of God in his life. And so when God spoke, he listened and God called him to take to take a word, a prophetic word to the northern kingdom. It's a bit of a risky thing to do, right? To go from one kingdom to another, these kingdoms that have kind of been at each other and go and give this prophetic word from God. And so he goes, he goes to the northern kingdom. 
Now, I love that Amos's name in Hebrew, it means burdened or it means heavy load to carry. And that's exactly what Amos had. He was open to the voice of God and God gave him this message, this burden, this heavy load to carry. And I think that's so important because as we're reading through, sometimes it's easy to read Amos and think, wow, God is angry. But actually, there's more going on there. There's a real burden come from the heart of God, placed upon Amos and taken to these people. And I want to unpack that a little bit as we go through. If you scan your eyes down chapters one and two, I'm going to pick a few verses out for us to look at in just a moment. But if you scan your eyes down chapters one and two, what you'll see is that I think Amos is quite a clever guy, or maybe the Lord is clever, okay, in what he's given Amos to say, all right? Uh, But it starts off with Amos turning up in Israel, and he's like, the Lord has given me a prophetic word for you. And then he does this. Your neighbor over here, the Lord is going to bring judgment upon them. Your neighbor over here, the Lord is going to bring judgment upon them. Your neighbor over here, the Lord is going to bring judgment upon them. And he goes around all the neighbors of Israel and tells them how God is going to bring judgment upon their neighbors. And if you're an Israelite at this point, you're like, yes, come on. The Lord's bringing judgment on you. And they're excited, probably first when they hear Amos speak. They're like, God's going to judge our enemies. He's going to bring them down. He's going to deal with them like they deserve to be dealt with. Those heathens, those Gentiles, those dark and twisted people, the Lord is on their case. And so Amos gives them all of this and they're like, the day of the Lord is coming. Which if you're an Israelite, is an exciting thing because it's a day that the God's going to come in his glory. And he's going to bring judgment. And you, as the people of God, are like, we're all right. Because he's our God. Right? And so that's probably what they're thinking until. Chapter 2, verse 6. You can imagine the Israelites, they're all gathered around. Yes, Amos, tell us more. What is the Lord going to do to our enemies? And then he says this. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel. Whoa, hold up. Hang on a minute. For who? What? For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. And then he goes on to talk about the judgment that God is bringing upon Israel. Now, In your Bibles, as you're reading through the the words that God is speaking through Amos about the neighboring peoples, you'll see that it says, for three sins of this place, even for four, I will not relent. For three sins of that place, even for four, I will not relent. And I have a love-hate relationship with the NIV, all right? Okay. I like it because we use it. It's our common translation. And it's, it's pretty good. It's modern and we get through it. But every now and again, I'm like, oh, guys, come on. That was a poor choice of words there, all right? And, 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 and here, here in the NIV is one of those moments where I'm like, oh, guys, come on, that was a poor choice of word, all right? And it's the word sin, the word sin. There are a number of different words in the Hebrew language that we translate, or the NIV translates as sin. 
Now, you will know because I have banged on about the word hatar. You remember that word? Okay, that is the Hebrew word for sin. But there are some other words as well. There's the word avon and the word pesha. I'm probably not pronouncing those right, but you don't know, and that's okay. Um, and and so, so there are these other words, okay? And, uh, and the NIV translates them as sin. But actually, strictly speaking, they're not sin. Uh, avon, it, it means iniquity, which we'll talk about later. And pesha, it, it, it means uh, transgression. Now, sin and transgression and iniquity... We kind of go, oh, yeah, all all the same thing. They're not. They're kind of categories of a very similar thing, but they're different things. And the word in Hebrew that is being used in chapter 1 and 2 is the word pesha. It's the word transgression. And quite literally in the Hebrew, this is what it means. It means to step over the line. Okay, to break the barrier, to break the edge and step through it. Okay, to step over. That's what the word means. And, and what God is saying to the neighbors around Israel is, I'm going to judge you for the line that you've stepped over, for, for the boundary that you've broken with, your, with other neighbors, with other people. You've broken a boundary in relationship with people. And, and you'll see as you read through chapter 1 and 2, most of the things that, or actually all of the things that God is judging the neighbors for is the way that they've dealt with other people. So he says, oh, I'm going to judge Edom because you treated uh, this place like that. I'm going to judge this place because you mistreated these people. I'm going to judge you because you mistreated these people. And you see that they broke boundaries. They stepped over the line and they did something wrong. They, they broke the boundary and they broke the, the kind of Uh, The edge of relationship, if you like, they broke this thing and God's judging them for the way that they treated other people. It's all about that. But then when we get to Israel, you'll notice in chapter two, as you start reading about Israel, it isn't just about the way they treated other people. So in chapter two, verse seven, God says, you profane my holy name. You profane my holy name. And actually what God's saying is this, you guys you know me. You're in relationship with me. These other guys, they don't, and they're not. And I'm judging them based upon the way they're treating each other. But you know me, and you're doing all the things they're doing, and breaking our relationship, and breaking my heart. You're even worse than them. Imagine being in this right now. It's like having a stake driven through your own heart. God's saying, he sets it up beautifully. Oh yeah, all these things your neighbors have done wrong. Yeah, look at them. You're even worse. You're even worse. And, and so God, he's like, I'm, I'm going to act against you because you have acted against me. Now, you start reading this and you think, Oh, what happened to this God of love? What happened to this God of grace? What happened to this God of mercy? Like, where is he? Where's this God that we know and we love? This is, this is it, Matt. See, we told you, Matt, the Old Testament God is different to the New Testament God. No, he's not. So where is he then? Well, jump to chapter three. Let's read chapter three, verse one and two. Hear this word, people of Israel. The word the Lord has spoken against you. 
against the whole family I brought up out of Egypt. You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. You notice how God chooses to call them family? God loves these people. He's like, I chose you. Of all the families of the earth, I made you mine. And the word chosen in Hebrew, another poor translation from the NIV, the word chosen in Hebrew is actually the word yada. You guys remember me talking about this word last year? Yada. It actually means to intimately know. So in Genesis, when Adam made love to his wife and they had a child, it says that Adam yadad his wife. He knew his wife is, is an older translation. Adam knew his wife. God's saying, in that same way, I have made myself known to you and you have known me intimately, intimately. I made you mine. I loved you. I gave you all of me. I gave you all of me. And so then he goes on and he says, and because of this, and here's the line that we struggle with, right? The rest of verse two. Therefore, I will punish you for all your sins. And we freak out a little bit, don't we? (laughs) What? Um, Now, I think Amos is drawing from language further back in the Bible, from Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. And uh, if you were with us mm, probably two years ago, you would have probably um, remember, or might not remember, but we did a series on Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. It's the passage where God shows up and he's like, Moses is up the mountain and he says, I'm going to reveal myself to you. And then God passes by and he declares his name, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God who's slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving thousands. But he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the sins of the children and their children to the third and fourth generation, it says, which is another bad translation. You, you can go check out the podcast if you want to listen to that, okay? Uh, I'm not going to get into all of that now, but it literally says... he. He punishes the sins of the children and their children in the threes and fours. It's actually what it says in the Hebrew. Okay. And we haven't got time to unpack all of that, but isn't that familiar in Amos? For three sins, even four. For three sins, even four. So he's picked up this three and four language, and then he's picked up this, I'm coming to punish language. What's Amos picking this language up for? He's telling us, this is who God is. Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7 is a declaration. It's the only declaration uh, by God in his own words about who he is. He's compassionate and gracious. He's merciful and loving, forgiving thousands. But he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the sins of the parents and the children and their children to the threes and fours. Um, The word for punished, this is what I want to kind of pull us in on here because this is what trips us up, right? We get a little weirded out by it. But the word for punished is the word (laughs) pokard. It's the word pokard, okay? Um, And 
It can be translated to punish, but it literally means to visit. That's what the word means, to visit. To visit. So God, actually, he's saying this. I knew you intimately. Out of everybody on the face of the earth, I made covenant with you. And you, you have sinned. And so I'm coming to visit you. I'm coming to visit you. Now the word sin here is not the same word as chapters 1 and 2. The word sin here is the word avan, which means uh, iniquity. And the literal translation of the Hebrew is to bend or to twist. So what God is saying is this. I intimately knew you. I made relationship with you. And you have twisted our relationship and made it something that it's not. And I'm tied into this covenant with you. This is who I am. And because you've twisted this, I'm coming. You've summoned me. You've called me. I'm, I'm coming to visit you. Because God wants to deal with that. He wants to deal with that. If you look at verses 3 down to 6, it says these things. It says, do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? Answer, no. Does a lion roar in the thicket when it has no prey? No. Does it growl in its den when it has caught nothing? Does a bird swoop down to a trap on the ground when no bait is there? Not unless it's stupid. Does a trap spring up from the ground if it has caught nothing? No. All of these things that Amos goes on to list are natural responses to another situation. Do you see that? If something flies into a trap, boom, it closes up. If a lion catches something... It's going to roar and chase after it, right? There's another one. It says, uh, when a trumpet sounds in a city, do the people tremble? Yes. (laughs) Because the trumpet was the sound to say, we're being attacked. An army is coming. All of these things are natural responses to the calls. And so what Amos is saying is, guys, you have screwed up, twisted, bent out of shape your covenant relationship with the God who loves you. And so he's coming because he can't not, because he made covenant with you. He vowed, he vowed to make you his people. He vowed to be in your presence. And so a natural response when this happens is for him to come and visit you, for him to come. Um, It's like when a bushfire starts in a really dry place, right? The fire just burns up everything in its path. It's just what happens. It's like when light shines into a dark room, the darkness just goes. Because that's what happens. In the New Testament, when Jesus showed up and the demon-possessed man was there, the demons instantly know who Jesus is, don't they? And they start crying out, Son of God, what do you want with us? Don't throw us into the pit. Why do they say that? Because they know that when he comes in his glory, that's where they're going. That's where they're going. They know. When God shows up, evil is expelled. When the presence of God shows up, darkness is removed. It's the natural order of things. It is the natural response. 
And so God's like, we've got covenant relationship and you have screwed it up. And so I can't help but not come because I made covenant with you. And my heart is for you. I yada you. And this is not what I had in mind when we got into relationship with each other. I've got more for you than this. So then you get down to chapter 3, verse 9, and it says, Proclaim to the fortresses of Ashdod and to the fortresses of Egypt. What's going on here is God is saying, Summon these other nations to bear witness to what is going on in my people. Summon these other nations around them, their neighbors, to witness what is going on. Assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria. See the great unrest within her and the oppression among her people. God calls the people around to look upon his people and to see the great unrest and oppression that is within her. And guys, this weighed on my heart as I spent time with the Lord this week, just thinking over this. I really feel like what God is saying to some of us today is this. Some of us are living in unrest and some of us are living under oppression. The oppression of our sin the oppression of our addictions, the oppressions of our our, our temptations. We're living under that. And we're not living at rest, which is what he calls us to in covenant with him. We're not living in that. And do you know what that does to God? It breaks his heart because he loves you. That is not the covenant that he made with you. That is not what he died for you to live under. He died for you to be free. He died for you to know his love. He died for you to live the fullness of life. So it breaks his heart when his people live under oppression and they live in unrest. If that's you, then let me say to you today, God wants to visit you. And I think there's a few of us, a number of us in this church who need God to visit us. We need him to visit us. We need him to come in and to deal with the stuff that is going on in our lives. If you look at chapter 3 verses 14 and 15, you'll read there that God says, I am coming and I am going to remove the altars. I am going to tear down the great houses. Now, It sounds like a really horrible thing that God's going to do, right? But actually what he's saying is, I'm going to remove the false altars. The idols that you've set up in Bethel. Bethel was a place of worship in the northern kingdom. uh, And it was established so that the people in the north didn't need to travel down to the south to worship in the temple at Jerusalem. Because the king in the north was worried that if his people went down to worship in the temple in Jerusalem, they'd be like, hey, we should... We should be one with these people again. Let's get rid of our king and become one. So what he did was he set up two places of worship in the north. And one of them was Bethel. And do you know what he did when he set that place up? He put in it a golden calf. What are you doing? I'm like, do you not know the story? Do you not know the history of your own people? And he puts a golden calf. In Bethel. And he says, here Israel are your gods who set you free from Egypt. Idiot. Idiot. 
And they start going to Bethel and they start worshipping the golden calf. And we're now in Amos's time, several kings later. We're on Rehoboam the second, right? We're, we're like later. And, and by the time we get to Amos's time, it's not just the golden calf there now. There's the Asherahs and the Bells and they've set up idols to all the different gods. And so God says, I'm coming and I'm going to destroy Bethel. I'm going to tear down the great houses. Not because I want to hurt you because I want to remove from you what is hurting you. That's what I'm coming to do. That's what I'm coming to do. And you know, many of us today, we need God to come and do that again. We're the people of God. So were they. We're called by his name. So were they. We've been set free by him. So were they. And yet over the years, some of us have started to build up other idols in our lives. We've started to put other things there in the place of worship. And God says, you don't realize it, but it is hurting you. It is destroying you. And I want to come and set you free from it. I want to come and visit you and untangle what you have twisted up. You see, God is committed to us. The New Testament says that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. Will see it through to completion. God is committed to you. He yadars you. He loves you. And he is absolutely committed to seeing you free, to seeing you whole, to seeing you healed. He is absolutely committed to working sin and the effects of sin out of your life. He doesn't want you living under that oppression. He doesn't want you living in unrest. He wants you to be free. That is what he died for. And that is what he declared. It is finished over. All of that stuff. You don't actually need to live under it anymore. Do you hear that? You don't actually need to live under it anymore. And yet, like they did, we keep choosing to go to Bethel and worship at all the idols. We keep choosing it. He is committed to working this stuff out of us. So how do you know, how do you know if you need God to visit you? Now, I would hazard a guess and say every one of us in this room probably needs a visit from the Lord on some level. All right. But how do you know? Well, if you look in chapter four, chapter four, verse six, you see God declaring this to Israel. And when you read it, it can sound a bit like, see, there he is again, the grumpy old kind of nasty God of the Old Testament, Matt. But that's not what's going on here. All right. Verse six, God says this, I gave you empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld rain from you when the harvest was still three months away. I sent rain on one town, but withheld it from another. One field had rain, another had none, and dried up. People staggered from town to town for water, but did not get enough to drink. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Can you not read the signs of the times? Can you not see the hand of God at work? I wonder if you 
take a moment in your mind if you might start to notice the signs in your own life that you need more of God. Are you tired? Stressed? Anxious? Depressed? Are you lacking peace? Are you lacking hope? Are you lacking joy? Are you lacking love? Are you lacking the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians? If those things are lacking in your life, are you lacking patience? Do you find that you're in situations with people and you're quickly moved to be angry or grumpy at them? If you're lacking those things, then I would suggest that you probably need a fresh touch of his spirit. You need a visit from God because that's what he wants for you. That's what he wants for you. Chapter 4, verse 4, God says this. It's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but he says, Go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin yet more. His point is, if you keep looking in the same place, you'll keep getting the same thing. The word for sin, hatar, here, means to miss or fall short of, to fall away from, to miss the mark. God's saying, keep doing what you're doing and you'll keep missing me. Keep doing what you're doing and you'll miss all that I have for you. Here's the good news. Chapter 5. In chapter 5, verse 4 and verse 6, it says this. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. Seek me and live. This is the good news, guys. This is the good news. Hear hear that. Hear what he's saying. Hear what he's not saying. He's not saying, Israel, you are in such a mess Sort yourselves out. Pull yourselves together. Get this all fixed and then get back to me. He's not saying that. And yet how many of us think we have to get our lives sorted so that we can come into the presence of God? How many of us think we have to get everything fixed so that we can know him, be right with him, be good with him? The good news is this. You don't have to fix yourself. God says, seek me and live. Seek me and I will do it. You know, the Bible says that when we seek the Lord, he wants to give us a new heart. Not, not he wants to just patch up here and there the old thing that you've got. He literally wants to take the heart of stone that you have and give you a heart of flesh. He wants to bring you to life. Seek me and live. This is the good news. So today... If some of this stuff is landing with you and you're like, yeah, I'm struggling with that. I know that I'm lacking those things. I know that I keep looking for my peace in my friendships. I keep looking for my joy or my worth in my job. I keep looking for, I don't know, when I've got enough money, then I'll have a little bit of peace and patience with other people because I won't be so stressed. Stop looking in those places. They're not going to fulfill you. They are, they are the Gilgals and Bethels. 
They're the idols. They're the false altars. Start looking to him. Seek me and live. I'm going to jump to chapter 9 right to the end because I think this sums up beautifully the heart of God uh, in the book of Amos. Okay, chapter 9 verse 11, it says this, in that day, in that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins and will rebuild it as it used to be. This is another bad translation from the NIV. Oh, man, I normally love on the NIV, don't I? Sorry for being negative on it today. Um, Let me read you a more literal translation from the Hebrew into English. Is that okay? This is how this reads. If if you go on to uh, Bible Hub and you... uh, What's going on down here? Oh, it's all right in the amplified. Yeah, get yourself an amplified version and you'll be okay. If you go uh, to Bible Hub and look up the interlinary Bible and check out the original Hebrew, which you can do, um, it reads like this. It says, On that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages and its ruins. I will raise up and rebuild it as in the days of old. The reason I love the literal translation is because it doesn't mention building walls around David's tabernacle. Because here's the thing, David's tabernacle didn't have any walls, all right? So you start thinking, okay, Matt, well, this is great, but why, why does this capture God's heart? Why is this where you want to land? Why is this the thing that tells us what's really going on in Amos and God's heart for his people? Let me ask you this. Why do you think that God wants to rebuild David's tabernacle and not the tabernacle of Moses? Or the one of Solomon? Why David's? Because Moses' tabernacle was made to the specifications of heaven. (sighs) Build it like this. And so he did. Right? He built it exactly as God told him while he was up the mountain. Solomon's tabernacle was glorious. Big. Golden walls. It was huge. Why not Solomon's? It's glorious. Why David's? Why David's tabernacle? See, here's the thing. David's tabernacle amounted to nothing more than a few poles with a piece of tarpaulin over the top of it. That was it. Why does he want to rebuild David's tabernacle? Do you know why? Because David's tabernacle had no walls. Because everyone could look towards David's tabernacle and could literally see the presence of God on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Everyone could see it. Yada. They intimately saw the Lord and he saw them. He was in their midst. God's like, that's the relationship I want with my people again. That's the relationship I want with my people. I want to be right in the middle of their lives. I want them to literally see me and be seen by me. I want them to know me in all that they do. And so chapter 9 kind of wraps up by saying that he wants to restore David's tabernacle. He wants to restore his presence among us. And he wants to restore his name over his people. And then the last few verses go on to talk about all the blessing that will come from that. All the goodness that will flow from that. All the hope that will arise out of that. But that's where it starts. That's where freedom comes from. That's where hope 
comes from. That's where life is birthed. When the presence of God is at the center of our lives and at the center of his church. We need him to visit us. We need him to visit us. Some of us, we look at our lives and we think, well, I'm doing all right by the standards of the world. But do you know what? I think probably most of us not doing so good by the standards of God. And I hold myself up there as well, guys. I'm not standing here judging anyone else. I'm starting with me. I need him to visit me. I need his spirit to move in my life. And I think we do as a church. We need him to come. We need him to come like light and expel our darkness. We need him to burn like fire and burn up the chaff. We need him to come and remove from us the things that are not of him. The things that are leaving us living under oppression and living in unrest. So that we can know that shalom of God. That deep rest in his presence. And the good news of it all is that he wants to. He wants to. He wants to come. There's nothing for us to do other than to seek him and live. Seek him and live. So we're going to worship. We're going to take some time just to put his presence at the center of all that we do. And we just want to open ourselves up. I want to encourage you, be real before him. What are the false altars that maybe you've set up What are the Bethels and the Gilgals in your life? What are the things that you've been looking to, trying to find your peace, your joy, your love, your hope, your worth, your value? What are those things? I just invite him to come. Invite him to make you new. Invite him to bring you to life. And it might be that for some of us it's a little bit painful as he moves because we're so attached to some of those things it's like he just has to kind of gently prise our hands off of it and take it out of us i want to just say to you today if if that if that is true for you then this is a safe place where you can let him do that and where people (coughs) will stand with you and pray with you and take hold of your hands as you let go of that other thing and so i want to encourage you if, if you know that you need him to do that then I want to encourage you just to come for prayer. Come and let someone stand with you and and pray over you. Um, I'm just going to ask, as we we worship, if you are someone who's normally involved in prayer ministry, please just come and hang over here. And if if anyone wants prayer, just just come. Um, Yeah, why don't we stand?